BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting great 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean, um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. I probably shouldn't even call it my podcast at this point because my guests this week have pretty much done all the work. Um, I have sitting across from me, Honky, Mac, Boomer, and we have connected via Google Hangouts, which I've never used and I'm excited to figure out how to use. Dave, on Colorado. You guys will know them as the Go Big Redcast. I'm very excited to have all of these people on. Um, I think your guys' podcast is fantastic, and I'm very excited to get a, a diversified view of Nebraska athletics. How is everyone? Really good. Thank you. Well. Thank you. Happy to be Doing here. Doing great. Yeah. Thanks for having us. I, I was interested to see how you guys did this, and then I found out that uh, I need to step my game up. <laughs> so <laughs> We had a little help in the beginning. Producer Skip was a godsend. I need a producer. I keep telling the <laughs> bosses. Available. Yeah. yeah, I keep telling the powers that be at Hale Varsity that um, we need an intern that can just do everything for us. Mm-hmm. I personally hate transcribing. That's my least favorite thing to do in this job. And so I tell them that we need to hire an intern just to transcribe everything for us. And stories would get turned in on time if that was the case. Um, so I might try to poach your producer now. Without a, uh, a inebriated producer skip in uh, the middle of Shanghai on a Thanksgiving evening with me, we'd not be doing this podcast. So That is correct. Yeah, we're very lazy, and it was helpful to have someone say they were going to do the producing. Once producer Skip said he'd do it, we're we're all in. Bye, Mike. So that was about it. Yeah, it's not that it's not that hard. You just have to know what you want to talk about. Why did you guys decide that you wanted to do a football podcast? This is for anybody. That's a that's a good question. Um, I, I think it was because we've been talking amongst ourselves as friends for. Well over two, almost three decades, I suppose, right, guys? And um, I think we're no, we're we're pretty good Husker football fans and Husker sports fans in general. Uh, I moved away from Nebraska around 2007. That's when our epic uh, email and text threads started, and uh, those are, are lengthy and uh, in depth. And um, I actually moved to Colorado in 2011 or so. Uh, started hanging out with uh, producer Skip and uh, introduced him to these guys. And he, uh, he thought we were really great, great Husker fans. And uh, he was like, you know, guys, you should do a podcast. And I was like, well, we've been told that before, but we have no idea how to do that. And um, Skip was like, I can produce that for you. And uh, that's how it kicked off. So you started Mike Riley's last year? Yeah, and you've done it since. <laughs> yeah, we're blessed like that. Yeah. Perfect timing. Well, I mean, that's when I yeah, got here. Yeah. So we're kind of on the same timeline yeah. here. Like, I, like, I've told people this before. I left Oklahoma after a Sugar Bowl when we were in New Orleans on New Year's Eve, and we got to go to a media party on Bourbon Street. Oh, man. I was like, man, this job is the life. Like, we're getting paid to be here right Jeez. now. Like, this is great. Fresh out of college. And then I come here, and it's like, you're not going to go to a bowl game for four years. Yeah. Everybody's going to hate you. The program's going to be terrible. And I was like, oh, well, I've got basketball to fall back on. And then that happens. Yeah. yeah. So my dad was, my dad went to college in the late 60s, early 70s. Here, You know, I go to school in 95 to 2000. I think collectively we saw four of the national championships as students. I mean, this is crazy. We won 13 games in the last three years since we've been doing the podcast. And we used to win that in a season. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's been frustrated, and we totally get it, you know, when the, the fans get frustrated or the, the redcasters, as we call them, when they get frustrated by the losses. We all do, but really the last three years, what we've tried to talk a lot about is progress and are we seeing it. And I think that's kind of where we're at right now with football, with basketball. 
we're at a point where I think we can see progress leading to the next season. The, the challenge is not overhyping that, and that's where I think we've that's been... That's been much of a challenge lately. No. <laughs> <laughs> overhyping has not been our biggest issue. But yeah. Well, last year, last overhyping year was... Yeah, but yeah, know. this year. And, and, then even when, and then even when the season is done, was the year as bad as we think it was? Were we as close to... Five and seven, or could we have been nine and three? I mean, there, I just wrote a thing today, if we, or tweeted a thing out today. If we had a better kicker, as we talked about, or just a more consistent kicking game, if, if Pickering wasn't hurt, we had four games where we lost that were all one-score games. Iowa had four games last year that were one-score games where they won them all. They had more field goals than, than extra points, Iowa did. How valuable, and Boomer, we call him our special teams coordinator, how valuable is, is kicking and, and special teams? Well, in Iowa's case, they won four close games, and we lost four close games. And so we're getting closer. So we're getting Iowa. there. <laughs> we're getting closer. We're getting there. But it, it doesn't take away the pain of 13 wins in three years. Yeah, I, I imagine. We'll get to football in a minute. It's, it's uh, very hard to, like, look at and see Nebraska's expected point total and win total has them, like, two expected wins above what they've been for, like, two years in a row. And the, the kicking situation is so wild because you can't just look at missed field goals. You you also have to look at, like, times that they went for it inside the 40 or times that they mm-hmm. – um, I mean, because it, it even impacts third down calls. Sure. Mm-hmm. When you know you don't have a kicker and you know you have to go for it on third 100%. down. Um, so, I mean, you can't just look at, like, hey, here's the points that were left off the board by missed field goals. There's, like, not really a great, great way to calculate – how many points were left out there because they didn't have a confident, didn't have a confidence in their field goal kicker? Um, so that's wild. That's a conversation we can get into. Dave, I got a question for you. I'm told you're the basketball is, is expert. Fair to say, is that what you guys? I mean, told guru, me? expert. <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't know about that at all, but I know I, I probably. Um, He's a North I Carolina fan, so a little, little bit closer than the other guys. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, growing up in Nebraska as a basketball fan and that fact that Nebraska would never play in March, uh, you have to take another team, essentially, and I, <laughs> I chose North Carolina. So uh, now talking about a, there, a, a team that's struggling this year, right? I have, I'm having a tough college basketball year in general. So Yeah, you are, um, and I hate to make you relive some things, but what are your thoughts on <laughs> this Nebraska team? It's 20 losses for the first time in program history. Yeah, well, I mean, we didn't have high expectations for this team, right? But I don't know if I expected 20 losses. That's a lot. Uh, most of all time, I, I guess I understand. So that's um, you know a tough thing to swallow. Um, but as Honky said, I mean, I think you see a lot of good things out there. And um, I do think that it, it's kind of odd. I was watching the game last night, and as usual, we're competitive for – 30 or or more minutes of the game, generally speaking. And it's a relatively fun brand of basketball to watch. We look good at times, um, but we don't have the the depth and we don't have, definitely don't have the rebounding and shooting to uh, compete at a high level. And it seems like, you know, for the, you know, Hoiberg had a a tough draw here as a first year in the Big Ten, where you have really about 12 teams that feel like they probably should have a shot to go to the tournament. And we're not going to get that many in, but I mean, there's, probably a high likelihood we have 10 Big Ten teams in the tourney. And so everybody's playing for something right now, and um, we're just, uh, you know, a man short. Specifically on Nebraska, have you been encouraged by recent play? Um, It's a 12-game losing streak. It's 20 losses, like I said, for the first time in program history. But, you know, you get into a Big Ten telecast, and all they talk about is, well, look at Delano Banton for next year. Look at the guys that they have sitting out. Look at Teddy Allen coming. There's, there are reasons for encouragement. But then at the same time, I look at some of the things that they do. They don't shoot the three ball well. Fred Hoiberg has never coached a team that shot below 35% from three, and Nebraska's at 32, 33-ish percent right now. Um, they don't defend well at all. They don't, they don't take anything away defensively, and the, the, the game plan has been weird to me all season long. Um, but it's one of those things where, like, I always feel weird questioning Hoiberg's game plan because he knows infinitely more about basketball than I do. And they also don't have a full complement of things. Um, he doesn't have a full roster to work with. And, and one of the things that we talk about with Scott Frost is that his first recruiting class was put together in 
20 days yeah. and can't really hold his feet to the fire for anything that, that fell apart after that. And I think you can say the same thing about Fred Hoiberg's recruiting class in the sense that, I mean, how many days did they have to put that thing together? Mm. Like, how many days did they have to put this roster together mm. and piece it together? So I guess a long-winded way of asking, are you encouraged by the play late this season? Are you encouraged by some of the things that Nebraska has shown, um, even in the course of losing? Or are there some things that have kind of worried you guys a little bit? And this is for anybody. Well, I think it's fair to say that we've seen good play in flashes from this team. Like you'd mentioned, this was a roster that returned basically one player from last year. These guys never played together. They hardly knew each other you know, to start the season. That's always going to be a recipe for a challenge for a basketball team. You know, For any play calling for a coach, for just a game plan in general, you've got to figure out who meshes where, who can play what roles, what kind of depth you have. Do you have anything coming off a bench? And that's going to take time to figure out. And the Big Ten isn't a conference that makes that easy. It's top to bottom tough. We've covered that. But I think you can take some pride in that this team has had some flashes of being good. And we can only say they can probably only go up from where they are defensively, free throw shooting, three-point shooting. They can't get much worse. So a whole year of experience, get some time to get to get those players back. And I think another positive you can take away from this team is they didn't check out yet. They could have given up, thrown in the towel in this season days ago. Even this last game against Illinois, they played well, they played hard, and it was a competitive game. And that was with Cam Mack out, who's probably yeah. our lead guy, kind of the, the floor general in a lot of those games. And they, they were still competitive. We don't have the firepower to stay with these teams the entire game, but they're still showing that heart and drive to compete. And that can only lead to good things going forward. Hey, we're not going to make the NCAA tournaments, and but should we really be disappointed? I mean, if we would have just been another average team and we're playing for NIT sitting at this point, would anyone care about that anymore yeah. than we are now? I think this all yeah. this all comes back to expectations, and as opposed to football and the hype of last year, there was none of that coming into this season. And anyone that was shocked that this year went the way they went, I'm not sure what you were seeing. So, I mean, nothing against uh, Dirk and his tweet last night that we should have been in the Summit League, but... Um, which is ridiculous, but that it, it has nothing to do with that. Look, we, we came in where we, we completely flipped a roster. Uh, I'm looking right now at the 2012-13 season that we had, uh, the first year under Miles, and we lost 18 games that year. You came with notes. I want you I to did. know that nobody else has come <laughs> with notes ever on this podcast. I don't have the work um, here don't have notes. <laughs> I don't have the memory that, like, when Dave was talking about that text chain, that I, was, I was not a part of that until I joined the podcast. I will wake up from a half-hour, 45-minute nap to 24 texts unread that are this long. I mean, like people can't see it, but three inches worth of text, each of them. And, you know, I just kind of skim, look for my name, skim, look for my name. Okay, cool, 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 bye. But, yeah, these guys are thorough, to say the least. Well, I just – I look at this, the first season that we had in our miles. We lose 18 games this year. We lose 20. I, other than the simple math, what's the difference, too? But – but look, I mean, this that year we struggled, and we came back the next year with, with our best guys that were sitting on the bench, Petaway and Pitchford. We came back the next year, and we went to the NCAA tournament with 10 miles in year two in this great conference of the Big Ten, which, by the way, I think it's overplayed sometimes because some years it's really good like it is right now. Two years ago we couldn't make it with 20-plus wins, and only four teams from the conference could make it in. So so it's, it's hit and miss, and it's not like permanently like Penn State next year and Rutgers next year are going to be top ten teams again. You know what? That that's going to fluctuate from year to year. But next year, a lot can change in one offseason. And if Banton and if Walker and if Stevenson bring some some much needed size that this team doesn't have, if the guys that do bring size right now, which are Yvonne and Cross, and are really a, they should be redshirting in a normal year. They 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 are younger than they should be. They're going through the the fire right now. I'm incredibly enthused with some things I see. I see some fast break offense at times that Dave, you being a UNC fan, you would love. You know, we get the ball and boom, we're right down the court, and and we sometimes miss or make a layup every once in a while. You know, what I mean, but <laughs> the shots are easy. There's a lot of times where I've seen some easy shots that the offense is opening up, and we don't make them. You know, and there's got to be parts of of Hoiberg where he's just you know pulling the hair out. But the expectations, it goes back to that where they're kind of they're where I kind of figured they'd be. Um, maybe one or two extra wins here or there. They played a great defensive game against Iowa that time. I mean, they really shut down Garza. So they've had they've had their moments, 
But it's just an incomplete roster if I've ever seen one. And then when Mac, to your point, Boomer, when Mac is out, things like that happens. I mean, you're just you're going in with you know half your weapons. Yeah, I, I would add, Honky, you're, you're talking about uh, some of the uh, pace and space aspects of Hoiberg's offense, right? And we've seen some of that. I, I almost thought I'd see more of it this year, but I do think it's a part of that, that issue, issue with the roster that we can't really execute the Hoiberg offense fully, and that does impact things like uh, field goal percentage, I think. You know, I, I was watching the game last night, and something that got me excited about the futures, I, I saw something that that – looked like what it should look like next year and every year going forward. And that was a, I think it was a relatively long defensive rebound that Gervais Green got. And he, he starts moving the ball forward. And Illinois is doing a good job of getting at least a couple guys back um, and defending the, the bucket to him. And I see Thor just take off like a jackrabbit down the right side of the court, runs right past Gervais. He's not running to the bucket. He's running to the right corner of the, the you know, the court. And, and now suddenly Gervais has, has an option, right? The defense now is stressed because they have to either go and follow Thor or defend the bucket where Gervais is at. Gervais makes an easy pass to Thor, who's run all the way to the corner. He pops a wide-open three and hits it. That's what the Fred Hoiberg offense should look like all the time. That's that secondary break aspect that makes it so hard to defend. And we haven't seen enough of that this year. And, Dave, you're, and you're talking about offense. You're talking about points. And that's something we haven't yes. seen as Husker fans in a long time either. Again, as I look at this 2012 year, the first year under Miles, I'm seeing scores of 42 and 38 and 44 and 41 and 47 and 47 and 46 late into the year. And, unfortunately, that wasn't just a Miles era issue. That was a Collier area issue. Collier era issue. That was a Sadler era issue. We've gone through 20 years since the knee of just some really – at times boring and slow down basketball when the coaches would tell us right away when they got here, hey, I'm going to run the court, we're going to do this, and we'd never see it. I've seen that with Hoiberg and what he did by bringing Mack in. I mean, Dave, Derek, I mean, have you guys seen a, a point guard at Nebraska that plays and runs the court like Mack does? And when you see that, that's the, that's the future to me. I mean, the guy pushing the ball all the time. Yeah, I think the most yeah, interesting thing with this team is that you can see – culturally the development with them in the sense that Cam was a little bit immature, not personally off the court, immature on the floor Mm -hmm. when he first got here, which is understandable. He came Mm -hmm. from Juco. He never played D1 basketball before. Um, But he's really grown in his decision-making and his ability to kind of pull the throttle back a little bit um, and slow things down. And I think you you brought up a really good point. The missed shots are, are... they could be concerning if you looked at it from that standpoint, but if you look at it glass half full, some, sometimes the offensive sets that they run, sometimes the shots that they open up out of their offense, that right there is what you can point to and say this is what Hoiberg's thing is. And I think, I think too, a lot of times this season teams have gone with this matchup zone against Nebraska. They've gone with a 2-3 zone against Nebraska, and it's just hard to run sets against stuff like that. You have to be a little bit more confident in what you're doing, and you have to be a little bit more um, – I guess read and react, and some of these guys just aren't comfortable doing that yet. You can't run some of the stuff that Hoiberg would would maybe use as a fallback. So um, it's been, I would say, for the most part, offensively encouraging mm-hmm. from these guys. And then you you know you see a guy who was, um, I would say, a liability earlier in the year in Wade Drago. Mm-hmm. And the last couple games, I mean, he's been um, he's been drop stepping people. He's been going over his shoulder. He's been looking a little bit more confident with the basketball in his hands. It's been you can see the development. Whereas a few years ago, I was like, okay, what are they doing to address some of these problems? Where are they getting better? Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I think Oya Drago has a bright future, and even Kevin Cross, if he can figure out his shooting stroke again, you know, he can stretch the the court as well. You know, defensively, you asked Derek about uh, you know any concerns we have. You know, and you've alluded a little bit to maybe some concerns on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, and something that's been bugging me a little bit is you know some of the interviews with uh, the coaches when they first got hired was you know Hoiberg obviously his offense is driven on three point attempts and and layups. Right, he, that's the two shots he likes the most. Right. He doesn't like the mid-range jumper, and his offense isn't designed to, to produce that. Uh, but he has Doc Sadler, who we all love Doc, right? And Fred obviously likes Doc, too. Thinks he's a great defensive-minded coach. 
But Doc in interviews have, has stated that he's fine giving up um, the three-point shot, right? He doesn't doesn't believe that that's going to win you the game. He's want to pack want to pack it in and, and defend the the rim. Um, but in some games this year, we've seen some teams hit a lot of threes against us. I think overall, statistically, we're okay as a three three-point defensive team. But um, there's some games where uh, Wisconsin comes to mind where they've kind of just gone off, and I, I don't know if if that philosophy is going to continue to work in the future as the game with with the you know Steph Curry's of the world and everything has gone to this three-point first a- approach. Um, it's, it's, it's in conflict with Hoiberg's offensive philosophy itself. So uh, if there's a concern out there is how our offense and defense, um, you know, complement each other. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I mean, when you look at the way they play defensively, they, they, they don't force teams into mid-range jump shots, which is what defenses want to do. They don't protect the rim. They don't have a rim protector. Um, Ivan might be able to become that. He's shown some good instincts, shot-blocking instincts over the last couple games. Um, and they give up too many open threes. I mean, teams this season have shot way below what they're supposed to against Nebraska on open threes. And, you know, when the season first began, we've got the Milwaukee Bucks game on the TV next to us on mute. When the season first began, I kind of wrote about how this defense looks a little bit like what Mike Budenholzer has done with the Milwaukee Bucks in the sense that he looked at the league and said, we're going to give up a bunch of threes, and we're going to pack the paint, and we're going to play drop coverage in the pick and roll. And when the season first began, it kind of looked like Nebraska was doing something similar. They weren't doing it because, like, Milwaukee does it because they have so much length everywhere that they can afford to have those long closeouts. Nebraska was doing it because they were so worried about protecting the paint. They were so worried about Mm -hmm. Luca Garza's and the Matt Harms's of the world eating them inside, and they were worried about giving up offensive rebounding. And my thing has always been like, well, you're small, so you're going to give up rebounds anyway. Three is worth more to an offense than two. And if you let teams get hot from the outside, they're just going to bury you even when they're mm-hmm. covered. And you saw that against Northwestern. You saw that against Wisconsin. You saw that in the second game against Iowa. The first game against Iowa at home was so strange to me because it's open three after open three left mm-hmm. and right, and Iowa just kept missing them. And instead of going inside to Luka Garza, they just kept jacking threes, yeah. which was what both teams wanted. From their offense, <laughs> they just weren't making. So it's very interesting. Um, I think the defense. I'm, I'll be very curious to see if next year, when they add in a, like a six foot nine Banton at point guard, um, when they add in a guy like Derek Walker who can be a real switchable four. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to see if that's the same defensive strategy because they'll get a little bit more length mm-hmm. on the perimeter, mm-hmm. where they could start to play um, a little bit differently. One of their biggest problems has been they, they just can't keep dudes in front of them on the yeah. perimeter. Um, so that's enough basketball talk for a team that's not very good right now. <laughs> I want to pivot to football because uh, football is king here. It's funny. I was actually on the phone with Tim Miles about a week ago, and I phrased the question to him where I was like, football is like the cash king. It's like the, the breadwinner. Um, and he stopped me. He was like, we only made $8 million the last year I was there. No big deal. Like very sarcastic. And I was like, Tim, the second basketball ends – Nobody wants to read about basketball anymore. <laughs> when football ends, people want football stories in January, February, March, April, May. Uh-huh. Like we, they want football stories all year long. Just, just don't be positive right now. That those are the stories they don't want. Well, right? So this, right, Derek? Is, this is what I want to talk to you guys about <laughs> first. You guys, the last podcast episode you did, it was fantastic. I told you in the jump, by the way. Subscribe to their podcast. Go big redcast. It was really good. The last one you did, hype management. That is the topic on everybody's lips right now uh-huh. hype my least favorite phrase right now is drink the kool-aid i hate it it's <laughs> stupid um i want to run down the line with you guys mac we'll start with you mm-hmm. what do you want to read right now about nebraska football um i'm i'm a little hypocritical Derek. i'm not gonna lie i i, I want to hear about player development i don't want to read anything about culture um I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know what I want to hear. I want to. I want to see how they're doing in the weight room. I'd like them to post performance numbers. That's what I'd like to see. See how they're getting stronger. That kind of thing. Um, maybe a unity council story here and there, but uh, it's. I don't know. I've I've drawn back a little bit about that this year about what I want to see or what I want to hear. You I'm know what's so interesting about those two things, the the strength numbers and the unity council thing, is those are two things that Frost wants back with the program. He wants to be able to share 
um, weight room numbers. Mm-hmm. He wants to be able to share that kind of progress. But the fact that there hasn't been much talk about off-season weight room stuff, you know, you get like, like people will ask, how much weight have you gained? Like, how much? What's your body fat percentage right now, or whatever? But there's not stuff coming from the university like mm-hmm. there used to be, and there's not a ton of Unity Council stuff because they're just embarrassed to share that stuff, mm-hmm. and that, that speaks to the way that they took this program over. And I think one of you guys on your last podcast made a comment about how, like, you don't think Frost fully anticipated where this program was at, the depths that this program was at when he took it over. Mm. And that's exactly right. Yeah, That was, Mac, that was when we were talking with Sipple, yeah. and, and, and he mentioned, you know, the that uh, maybe Not Frost, under, the yeah, 10, Frost maybe underestimated how physical the Big Ten was, and, yeah. and you mentioned that you thought, well, maybe he underestimated how how – from a physical standpoint, how unprepared Nebraska was. Well, that was the thing, because we follow Husker football very close, and we never got any kind of whiff of the lack of working out that was going on with the team whatsoever. Yeah. We didn't hear anything about no one doing squats until Frost got here, about how you know, guys were begging out of workouts with the strength and conditioning coach, how little power he had, you know, all the stuff moving on behind the scenes. That was no, nowhere to be found on the, on the Internet anywhere. So when you hear that stuff, it's like, man, I feel like a – I feel like a sucker. I'm like I was. I thought we'd have all this potential because of recruiting rankings and the guys we were getting and the system we were putting in. But if I'd have known we weren't even working out, I, I would have felt wow. a completely different opinion about it. Well, and 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 it's hard without being there. I mean, you listen to some of the players that I think Brandon Riley was on Big Red Wrap Up last year, and he was saying we did work out. You know, and maybe we worked out differently than how this team works out right now, or, or they had different standards. I, it's I don't even want to get back into into that world you know, in, the, in the previous regime. I just, looking forward, I, I, when I talk about progress, I mean, I think of the Iowa games, the last three years, the three years that we've done an Iowa game. The first time we got blown out, that was 2017, last game of Riley. We physically weren't able to compete with them, and it was a tied game at halftime, and then the second half they blew us out. Mm. So, you know, kind of the old, uh, hey, we, ga- we gave up, right? Yeah. We gave up, and we also physically we couldn't compete. The next year, Frost's first year, we still aren't physically capable of competing with Iowa. Frost was the first one to say it after the game, says, I never want a team so much bigger, stronger, faster than us. And they they, they pushed us all around the field, and yet we lost by a, a walk-off field goal in the last second of the game. So the quit wasn't there that we had the year before. We also were better. We were a little bit stronger, but not good enough. And then last year, we play them, and most of that pushing around was over. It, most of it had gone away. There's a player here, here or there. Um, I challenge anyone to watch Hymas go up against Epineza most of that game. And Hymas had a great game. Uh, the only time that uh, A.J. Epineza had success was when they'd move him into, like, nose tackle and they'd have him up against our guards. Mm. That's when he would have success. But when he was going against Hymas, Hymas was doing outstanding. I mean, we were physical, and yet the end result is a missed, or walk-off field goal last second of the game, the exact same result. But if you go game to game to game, 17 to, to 2018 to 2019 – you can see the improvement. It's three losses, yeah. and p- fans don't want to hear about losses and improvement right now. They just want to see wins, and I totally understand why. But it is improvement from year to year. We are getting there. Now, what is it about next year? we got to close the, the mistakes, the, the mistake gaps that we make. The running out of bounds in the fourth quarter that gives them the, even an opportunity at the ball. Yeah. You know, the, the, the kickoffs where we're kicking it, to, to guys at the ten yard line so that they they can have a you know a free reign at us you know most of the penalties and stuff a lot of that stuff kind of got cleaned up over the course of the year but but you know it's just those kinds of mistakes and then I think finally having some depth I think we getting all these redshirt freshmen involved we're going to have some better depth on this team than what we had a year ago that that's what I've got to hope for. Mm-hmm. Boomer, Boomer, what could you see from spring ball that would make you believe that this season is going to be a little bit different? Is there anything that you could see or hear coming out of spring ball that would make you I don't want to say drink the Kool-Aid, but like there's not a better there's not a better phrase for it. Like is there anything that you could see that would make you be like, "All right, yeah, maybe maybe this will be as advertised." Well, there's two things I would think of. The first is my usual horse that I pummeled to death years ago, and it is special teams. Are we consistently kicking the ball out of the end zone on kickoffs? Are punts you know, have a lot of height on them. They're being covered well. Are we not screwing up and getting good returns on our kickoffs? We we struggled with that 
for years. It's been several re coaching regimes now. We just haven't seemed to focus on that. We've got an analyst now, so maybe that'll be the answer we need. Are we getting consistent production from our kickers? Are we avoiding freak hip injuries in just whatever the heck our kickers are doing in their off hours? So we, you know, we don't have too many details on that. But can we avoid those sort of things? We've already covered that, how big of a difference those little mistakes make in being a sub-bowl team or being a 6, 7, 8, 9-win team. It's those little things. If you can do those things well, hey, we're flipping a few games and now we're going to a bowl game. I think another thing I'd want to see out of spring ball, are we able to develop a consistent running back? Are we going to have someone that's healthy? Are they able to produce on a per-game basis? We're not always constantly having to just cycle somebody in there, smaller players that maybe aren't ready. Can we get a consistent, good production out of a running game? As, uh, we really need that in a frost offense. You do, yeah, absolutely you do. Uh, Dave, I want to go to you because Boomer brought up something that I think is really interesting. So Nebraska had a special teams coordinator last year that was a full-time assistant. So he was able to help with guys during practice on special teams. This year, Frost went a little bit different route. They have an analyst who can't technically coach players on the field during practice. He can do uh, post-practice stuff in film rooms. He can set up drills and he can kind of whisper into other coaches' ears and say, hey, go do this, this, or this. But he's not a full-time coach, so he can't be there on the practice field. When you saw the way all the coaching staff changes kind of played out this offseason, when you saw that Nebraska was going the analyst route as opposed to hiring somebody who was going to be both um, a defensive assistant and a special teams coordinator, did you have any hesitation about maybe this isn't being valued the way it should be? Or were you fine with the move? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, with uh, DeWitt splitting his time between a, a position and being the special teams coordinator, I don't know how much it was being valued in the last two seasons either. Although, if you go back to the Riley era, it's not like Bruce Reed produced, you know, amazing uh, special teams as a $400,000 plus special teams coach. So that's not always the answer either, even though I think most Big Ten teams do have one of the 10 assistant coaching positions dedicated to, to special teams. From a um, how much is it valued perspective, I think what we'll, we'll find out with Jason Rutledge and his role is, is really how much Frost is involved in special teams, right? I think if you look at some of the best special teams programs out there, historically speaking, Kansas State and Virginia Tech come to mind, but many others are out there. It's how involved the head coaches on special teams and how involved they are in those in those meetings, which I would imagine that Rutledge is leading, but and Frost is fully, um, you know, involved, and then he can carry that onto the field with the rest of the coaching staff. So if Frost takes more of an ownership of this uh, going forward, that's where we'll see where they've really bought into the value of that third phase of the of the team. The other coaching change hockey I'm gonna go to you is Matt Lubick coming in from he had a year off I talked to somebody who was close to him and called it a sabbatical so mm -hmm. there was there was no question that Matt Lubick was coming back that he loves the game too much he's got passion for the game Lubick as, as, as he was described to me has a specific way that he catches the football or that he wants his receivers to catch the football that's mm -hmm. different from just like okay make your pinkies touch and catch the nose of the ball. He has a very detailed way that he, he goes about that. He has a detailed way that he coaches blocking that he learned from Frost, mm -hmm. which is why Frost mm -hmm. uh, mentioned on Sports Nightly a couple weeks or so ago that he said that he thinks that they're going to be improved in, in, in perimeter blocking. They mm -hmm. need to be. Um, and then he, he has a very specific way that he coaches route running. He's just detailed in everything that he does. When news came out that Lubick was coming back, what were your your first thoughts? What were your knee-jerk reactions? And then when you got, because I'm, I'm sure you did, you got to doing some, some deep dive stuff, some looking into what he's done in the past. He's been successful at every spot he's had, developing wide receivers. What are your thoughts on him now? If he is here to enhance our offense, what is he enhancing? What is he doing that, uh, I guess, you know, Walters wasn't doing? And... I really get the sense and the feel that Frost wants to get more physical with this offense. I think it's something he's seeing, and, and we can to go against his comment when he was uh, hired, when he goes, the Big Ten's going to adjust to us. Maybe this is a moment where he adjusts to the Big Ten, but you've got to be physical in this conference. I don't care if you're shotgun spread or whatever. If you can't get under center and get one yard when you need one yard, you're not going to win in this conference. I, I, 
I've said it since the first day we did a show that I've always seen value in getting under center. I've seen value in fullbacks. You said it since the first day I met you. <laughs> well, I've seen value <laughs> in fullbacks and all that. And and I, I've thought all along that we're going to see bits and pieces of that over time. I was, to be quite honest with you, surprised that it happened as fast as it did. When we lined up in the I formation against against Ohio State, and not as a gimmick, but actually went right down the field against them, you know, to me that's something where you can build off of that. That doesn't have to be 90% of our offense. I'm not expecting 1995 offense again. You would take it, though. I would take it. I Believe me, I'd take it. But but you've got to be physical. And now, is Lubick that guy, I guess, to kind of go back to the original question? I don't know if Lubick is that guy, but is Lubick the guy that can help Frost keep on that game plan of, of if it's physicality, if that's what they're looking for? I mean, what does an offensive coordinator do if he's not calling plays? Well, he can do a lot of things. He can help with game plans. He can help with schemes. He can help with with the play calling it throughout the course of a game if the if the play caller is getting off of his off of the the, mm. the plan a bit yeah you know it, obviously last year we struggled a lot in the uh, in the red zone and that could be an area that he's being brought in to help with but I just see physicality across the board I see us getting bigger receivers not just because we need six four targets to throw to but because we need six four guys out there blocking too I see a physical offense that's where Frost I think wants to take us. We're still gonna throw the ball. Don't get me wrong. I, I come off as the way old. Do you school feel guy like you're gonna throw as many bubble screens? <laughs> well, yes. I hate, yeah, I hate to tell you. I hate to tell people this because everybody always complains about the bubble screens, but like more screens are coming. Yeah. Well, and, and look at you know guys like Xavier Betts that they're recruiting and stuff, and watch some of his high school tapes. And even those six three targets, it's not all fade passes. There's they're throwing bubble screens out to those big guys too and and they're making catches and and maybe they make the first guy miss and they're down the sideline i the play calling is really to me hasn't been the issue i know it looked i know it looked rough in the first half against iowa but nothing was working well that first half against iowa and didn't really matter if it was a bubble screen or not if you miss blocks you're gonna no play looks good but but in general i think it's it's the basic things of like when you get down to the two yard line and can you just run the ball in with Dedrick Mills, 225 pounds, versus trying to do a shovel pass like we did against whatever it was, Purdue? Or, mm. you know, it, there's moments where you don't want to get cute. You just want to get the ball in the end zone. And, and uh, you know, I tell people, we got up 41 to 3 collectively on Purdue, Indiana, and Colorado. We were up 41 to 3 on those three teams, and we lost them all. It shouldn't be out of the, for all the people that think we just, we totally missed on the hype last year. Wow, we were, we way underperformed. We're not that far away a year ago from eight or nine wins. We really aren't, but we made enough mistakes to to definitely earn that five and seven. We could have gone three and nine. We could have lost to Northwestern and, oh, and yeah. Illinois too. We absolutely could have. That's how close we were a year ago. We have to shore up those mistakes. You got to be able to kick some field goals when you get, when you get a chance. We had a hundred plus yard drive against Wisconsin that scored zero points. I don't know how that's possible, but we had over a hundred yards in one drive and zero <laughs> points came out of it. It's one of those That's things. That's a problem. The, the best way to learn is to do. And Frost's two years at Central Florida prepared him to coach, but didn't prepare him to coach at this level against teams like Ohio State and Wisconsin and Michigan. And I don't think they've played Penn State yet. Yeah, the games are all running mm-hmm. together. Um, but you can see the adjustments that they've made. So year one, it was Travis Fisher saying, look, we can we can do this with smaller safeties, smaller DBs. And then in year two, it was like, no, we need bigger guys. We need <laughs> big dudes in the secondary. And, and now it's the wide receiver thing. We need to get more physical. And Frost wants to be a physical offense. They're going to throw more screens, I think, this year. They're going to be in more two tight end, I think, this year. Mm-hmm. But... Over the course of his first two years, they've been a lot more run-heavy in the run-pass splits than even he was at at UCF. And the the team that I always look at, or I shouldn't say always, the team that I have looked at this offseason is those Royce Freeman teams from Oregon. Because he has a similar guy in Dedrick Mills, and they could do – I mean, those teams were almost 60-40 run. And and he could do some similar things Mm -hmm. with this team. Dave – the offensive line, to me, is maybe the most interesting, maybe the most important this offseason. They're returning all five starters, but they've got a guy in Bryce Benhart who everybody thinks could make that jump and could push Matt Forniak inside or could do this or that. What do you think is a ceiling for this offensive line? Do you really think that 
that this offensive line is is the key to unlocking this offense's potential. Yeah, I think it is. You're right. Absolutely. I think we miscalculated the importance of the loss of uh, Farmer and and um, Foster uh, last year, and uh, then breaking in Jurgens at center. And now we have a situation where we have five returning starters. Um, but to Hockey's point earlier, I, we're finally starting to see this coaching staff build depth in the roster and the offensive line is a great example of that where we have five returning starters but they're not sure of uh, of a starting position this year right and Ben Hart's one of those we hear a lot about Ethan Piper um so there could be um you know even some injection of new blood in the starting lineup but that just just means we have experience behind them that's actually started games and and if there's anything we know that it, you need uh depth in the offensive line so um, you have to feel uh, optimistic about that, but at the end of the day, they're going to have to prove that um, uh, really in game one versus Purdue where we need to be able to win a, a Big Ten game right off the bat. And uh, they steadily improved throughout the year uh, in 2019. They need to start at, at that level, not regress at all, and, and really have a strong showing if this offense is going to be explosive like we expect Frost offenses to be. Mac, a two-part question for you. Mm-hmm. Do you think Ben Hart ultimately takes Farniak's job at right tackle? And what do you think the ceiling of this offense is? Uh, I think he's got the potential to do it. He's, he's a monster of a man. And, you know, I've been hearing that Farniak's needed to move inside for two years now. So if he's ready to go, he had this year of strength and conditioning with, uh, with Duvall. I mean, the potential is there for it. And I'd lo- I love the idea of, of getting a little more length at our guard position and somebody like – because Farniak's got some nasty to him, and I like that about him out on, the, out on the field. So with the kind of cohesion that I expect to get out of the offensive line, I mean, Cam was a liability at the beginning of the year, but he absolutely was not at the end. He was getting to the second level. His athleticism mm-hmm. was, was clear. By Maybe the their most consistent blocker by the end of the year. Yeah, and powerful, explosive, mobile – I really think he does have the potential, and it's not just because of what Frost said, but it's mostly because of what Frost said. But the other thing you touched on just a little bit, and I was thinking about with the spring, what I'd like to see is is this lip service we've paid to the tight end position for the last three years. I've never really seen it materialize on the field. I feel like we've got the bodies this year. I, I felt like we had them last year a little bit to really make an effort to get those guys the ball. If we can include the tight ends, because we don't have humongous wide receivers, we, and especially in the spring, we're not even going to have the two biggest guys here. So if we can get those guys involved, you know, Volkolek being in there, we'll see what they do with Hickman if he becomes a hybrid or if he moves mm-hmm. inside more. But, you know, we still have Stoll. I just I would love to see us start using our tight ends to our advantage. Plus, you know, if we're, if we're really in the hunt for a Fedoni out there, we're going to have to show this kid that we can use a tight end and develop a tight end and, and make that something of value for him. So for us to take the next step offensively, I feel like that's one area that we have yet to really tap into, at least in the Frost offense, is a, is a strong tight end game. Yeah. And one of the things with the tight ends, I expected them to be a lot more involved than they were. And as I look at things this offseason, I think, well, Vokalek has a chance to be that number one. I don't think Jack Stoll is secure in that number one spot. Because no. when you look at the production from that spot over the last two years, there's just not a lot to be found. You look mm-hmm. at, you know, you'll see Jack Stoll catch a pass up the seam yep. for 15, 20 yards on the first or second drive of the game. And then he's nowhere to be found for the rest of the game. Right. And, and, I, and I was thinking about that in season is like, why can't they get these guys more involved? And then you go into the offseason and you start going back through film and you start looking at it. Well, how many times is a tight end the first or second option? Not very often. Mm-hmm. And if you're in a situation where you can't get the snap on target, you don't have sure. good protection, and you have a quarterback that is hurt, one, and mm-hmm. doesn't feel comfortable back there because he's getting chased mm-hmm. around, he's not having time to go through all of his progressions. Right. So Jurgen's snap is probably 1A. Adrian Martinez is 1B. (laughs) Boomer, do you think when you hear quarterback competition, do you think it's real this offseason? Do you want it to be real? Or do you think that it's just something to maybe light a fire under Adrian? Well, I want it to be real. I would be... Really? Yeah, I would be annoyed if our coaching staff went into this season saying, okay, Adrian, your position is safe. If he really is struggling, you know, if he continues kind of that struggle that we had last season into the spring game and into, you know, practice, 
and it's kind of looking that way to start next year. I would honestly hope they are trying to open it up a little bit. We do have a lot of players behind them that are capable. I do want to see. I, I think it would be a disservice to the staff and the rest of the team if they're just going to hitch themselves to Adrian come hell or high water. It every position should be open to competition. It shouldn't be just because he's our two-year starter. We got to go through for year three. If there is a better option for it, let's try it. Tom Osborne had a competition between Frazier and Beringer going yeah. into 95 and and literally said that Beringer threw one extra interception and that's what was the difference between Frazier starting game one or not. Um, if there's a comp- if Frazier can be in the middle of a competition as late as, as his fourth year here, anybody can be. Um, I think there should be, and I think Frost has kind of alluded to that too. He's like, you know, so much gets made about the quarterback for obvious reasons, but there's going to be a competition at quarterback just like there should be at every single position. I I think the, the most secure guy on the offense, to me, it, that's not alignment. The most secure uh, skill player, I guess, would, been, would be Mills right now. Yeah, well, but that's even, a lack of depth. But that, right that's there. more because of a lack of depth, yeah. you know, than anything. I But I want him being pushed, too. And, uh, I, you know, all those guys need to be pushed. That That's the that's the challenge, and that's what building the depth up is, is – it's taken them about two years to do this. We talked about basketball at the beginning. I can have higher expectations in year two of basketball because you're flipping a 15-person roster or 13-person. But in football where it's 85 guys, I'm willing to throw a little bit extra patience on it to, to say, okay, here we are going into year three, and I think this we're at a really good starting point. And I know that's the tough part too. Patience, we talk about patience, and we don't want to hear, we don't want to hear be patient because we feel like we've been patient. What I, what I try to tell Redcasters is that, is that be patient with Frost, be patient with <laughs> Hoiberg, be patient with Bolt. Be, be patient with your kids. Well, be patient Be patient with the guys that haven't been here for 15 and 16 years during most of the years where we have been frustrated. I mean, I'm frustrated by basketball not because of this season. I'm, I'm going on 20 years of frustration, right. but I can't blame Hoiberg for all that. I'm frustrated for a number of years that we haven't won the Big Ten and so on in football, but Frost wasn't involved with those. So those guys are here trying to fix it. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to be patient with giving them the time to do it. Derek, to ask you kind of the same question, I mean, going into last year, I felt like everybody thought the one position we were pretty secure in was that quarterback position. And, you know, it could be a whole hodgepodge of reasons why Adrian performed the way he did. But do you have any kind of theory, speculation of what you thought I mean, at what point in the season do you go, man, something is not quite right with him? And do you have any kind of theories as to what it, what it is? Yeah, we were coming back from the Colorado game when we talked Jeez. about it. Mm. Um, Adrian underperformed last year. And I think if you ask his position coach, they'll, he'll tell you that. If you ask Adrian, he'll tell you that. Like, he could have been better. Um, he's got to get better reading coverages down the field. He's got to get better reading stuff on the back end. I had a, an NFL scout that I talked to before the season that said that, like, look, Look at what Don Brown did to him. And, and if you have a, a, a secondary, a safety that can switch off and they can kind of fake some coverages or do some dummy things, it really messes with him. Mm-hmm. And when he gets put past his first or second option, he really struggles with what to do. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's so tough, the Adrian conversation, because there are just so many factors at play. Mm-hmm wasn't healthy. He was afraid to right. get hit. He doesn't get hit in practice, which I think is a problem because he mm-hmm. doesn't know how to protect the football when he does get hit, and he doesn't know how to fall while protecting the football. While yeah, it's mm-hmm. the um, Jeremiah Searles actually pointed that out to me. He said, watch the way he falls. He doesn't fall in a way that would protect the football. He falls to kind of brace himself, and oftentimes that's what leads to the ball getting popped mm-hmm. out. Um, and, and that's a product of him not getting hit in practice. So it's one of those things where, and, and then you and then you factor in the snaps, and you factor in mm-hmm. their inability to run the ball effectively, yeah. and you factor in Maurice Washington's um, resistance to running up the middle, and so he's <laughs> bouncing everything outside, and so they're having some some conflict there. Wide receivers not getting open, wide receivers not being where they're supposed to be, him not having confidence that anybody is where they are supposed to be, mm-hmm. and then him feeling like, well, wait, I have to stay in the pocket and make a throw because I can't get hit because. Then we're in trouble afterwards. It was just, I think it was a, a perfect storm of a season for him where he wasn't the quarterback that he needed to be. And I think 
they're addressing some things this offseason, both with how he prepares for the year and then some of the things that he's seeing. Mm. Um, but it also, he wasn't helped in any way mm-hmm. by anything going on. Right. I think the, the physicality in practice, the contact, is a, I think you're hitting on something there. And I think that is, a, that is an area where we might be able to see something in spring. If there's a true quarterback, uh, if there's a true quarterback competition going on, I would expect that you're not seeing green jerseys. We're at a point now. At least sometimes. At least sometimes. At least sometimes. I, let me rephrase that. They're going to wear green jerseys 80% of the time or not, you know, whatever, 90% of the time in practice. But that 10 to 15 to 20% when you're not is important. Now, two years ago and one year ago where you were down to very few options at times, you just can't do that. But this spring, I mean, I really we're hope Logan to s- here. We're going to have McCaffrey. Oh, my God, we got, McCaffrey. We still have you, you have, you well, yeah, I mean, his first yeah. year, it was Adrian Martinez and then Noah Vedral, who wasn't eligible, and then Andrew Bunch. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it's, it's understandable yeah. why you're not putting yeah. on a green practice, or why you are putting on a green practice jersey. One other thing that I that I think, and this is speculation, this isn't founded, I think they just put too much weight on him this last offseason. I've already seen the film that Ora Garces put out. He looks thinner than he did at the beginning of spring last year. I mean, he looked heavy in the spring game last year, and he kind of already looked a little tentative there. He didn't have a great spring game last year. I mean, that that was pretty obvious right away, but you kind of like, eh, whatever, spring game, no big deal. Adrian's amazing. And then <laughs> too much foreshadowing. It was unfortunate. Does anybody think Logan Smothers has a shot at the job? I think – I think – I don't. No. I'd be, I'd be <laughs> surprised. Let's just say that. Well, I mean, yeah. that would be like when Taylor Martinez beat out Green and, and what's his name? Uh, if he's Tanner if he's Green that good. Oh, exactly. exactly. Yeah. He I mean, that's not even the expectation I'd have right now for, for Smothers. The first thing is, you know, you're just on campus for the first time, you know, a month ago. So, that you know, he's going through his probably his first cold weather he's ever, you know, lived, you know, lived in right now. Um you know, this is just an adjustment semester, if nothing else. I, it would be, for me, I don't think it would be a good sign, unless he is literally the second coming of a fifth-year Joe Burrow. <laughs> I, I don't know why he would be starting for us next year. You know, so. Small hands Burrow. <laughs> Small hands. I mean, yeah, I hope he has he was hands. He's having a Nebraska, I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. That's His tweet about the tiny hands was amazing. That was, <laughs> was so yeah, great. That was yeah. pretty good. And I think I saw Benjamin Albright or whatever his name was say, this is the way you're supposed to handle these things. <laughs> and I thought to myself, or you're not supposed to make such a big deal out of the size of his hands. Yeah. Yeah. Like right. He threw for like 6,000 yards yeah. on the Heisman with his hands. Like, right. I think he's good enough. Go ahead and make your, yeah. 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 Dave, are you going to make it four for four on saying no to Logan Smothers? Yeah, I would just say, and I guess opposite of honky, if Logan Smothers wins the job, he's going to be amazing, right? I mean, let's let's face it, uh, that would be quite the upset. Uh, even to the point of, I, I do want an open quarterback competition, but I think Luke McCaffrey has a, would have a lot of work ahead of him to displace Adrian if he's healthy and he gets back on track. In the sense that, I mean, I'm excited about Luke McCaffrey just as like anyone else, but we've only saw like one half of, of real production from, from Luke and then a few random plays. Uh, so when people get excited about Luke McCaffrey, it's all potential still, and there's not a lot of uh, on-the-field evidence yet. And so I think he's got a bright future. Uh, it's just that I think he has to do a lot to displace Adrian. Yeah, you know, the on-the-field evidence you talk about there, Dave, I think that's a big deal. Martinez gets the most amount of negative feedback right now, but that's because he's put the most on film. He's put the most on tape. And so... Luke has thrown, like, two play-action passes. Yeah. yeah. And with Martinez, what happens when you start to lose some games and stuff is that what gets memorized by, by the fans is the negatives, the, the, the losses, the interceptions and that. But that guy still, you know, he, he's put up a lot of production. He's seen a lot of, you know, a lot of play now for two years. And for somebody to come in and beat him... I mean that you know, but he has opened the door say, for it. Though. He's opened he's the door. He got the door open for him, and that's totally on his play. He's absolutely yeah. opened the door for it. But I mean, it's going to take somebody that 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 is, can come in and beat a guy that's had twenty one games of starting experience. Well, and, that and, takes and a lot. And they'll be far less leash. I don't care who wins the quarterback competition. The leash this year should be pretty short if they're playing bad in, in the season. The most interesting thing with Logan Smothers, that, that Greg Smith has pointed out to me a couple times, is that. This is the first quarterback they've had where they've had their full time to recruit him. Mm-hmm. They've had the, because they want to be two years ahead. They mm-hmm. want to be that early. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is the first guy that they've had where they've been able to survey the landscape, be like, this is the guy that I want to focus yeah. on. 
and then really focus on him. And they, I mean, he's been committed for a year. Solid. And they got him before anybody else was really going after him. He wasn't a big four-star recruit at at the time that they recruited him. He became that, which I think that's a shows a great job of projecting by uh, by the staff. I mean, you know, look, Mario and those guys—they do a great job. Yeah, I I just wanted to add. I think that that quarterback room is in a really great great spot. I'd really be interested to be a fly on the wall right now. You have at least three guys there, Logan Smothers, Luke McCaffrey, and Adrian Martinez that are alpha dogs, right? That are the leaders of the pack. Um, it doesn't matter what age they are. They've, they've used to be leading their team from a very early age, and they are all in that position now fighting for that, that quarterback uh, position. And that only should make the competition stronger, even if it's um, not really on the field of Adrian, just because of that experience, you know, wins out uh, the, the game prep, the, the, f- the film that they're watching, et cetera, everything that Logan and Luke are doing is just going to push Adrian to be better, right? And I think, uh, Derek, you made some really good points about some of the issues that, that Adrian had last year. And it feels like his freshman year, he, he had Stanley Morgan as a safety valve that he could always throw to, and he was just going to go up and make a play for him. And second year around, those defenses figured out a lot of things to defend Adrian. So now it's this this year, this offseason, him and, and Mario Vadusco really need to figure out how to it's a chess match, right? He needs to figure out how to then counter those defensive schemes that have confused him in, in 2019. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and I was actually just about to say it's, they're playing a game of chess because it was Adrian in his freshman year where nobody knew what was what to expect of him or mm-hmm. what was coming from him, and Nebraska made its move. And then this past season, defenses said, okay, here's the counter. Yeah. So now what does Nebraska do to counter the counter? Yep. The last thing that I want to talk to you guys about is recruiting. Mm-hmm. I think – you know, I, I kind of mentioned this last class was their, the first time that they've really been able to sink their teeth in on a class and mm-hmm. go through a full recruiting cycle the way that they really want to. And the thing that was so interesting to me as we were coming out of the season was, okay, how are they going to close this class? Because in the 2018 class that he signed, like the one that he signed in like two weeks, like it was, look at me, I just went undefeated at UCF. Mm-hmm. Look at, look at right. what we can do. Come be a part of this. Right. And there was hype and there was excitement around him. And that was what they sold the class on. And then the 2019 class was, look at this quarterback that we have. Look at this <laughs> offense that we have. Look at what we could potentially be structured around this this freshman All-American. Like, you have a quarterback in, in Clemson that was a freshman All-American. And then the other freshman All-American quarterback was in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Come be part of that. That was the pitch. This past year, I wasn't sure what the pitch was. I wasn't sure what it was going to be. Mm-hmm. If it was going to be, hey, you just got to believe that that things are heading in the right direction. Or if there was going to be like, hey, look at the stuff that we have on film. Look at the stuff that we're doing. You can see the improvement. You can see the progress. You can see the growth. And I was really curious if that was going to resonate with recruits or if that was going to translate. And if they were going to continue the momentum that they had on the recruiting trail or if they were maybe going to lose out on another top 25 class and then you know we saw what happened they signed another top 25 class yeah. on the heels of a five and seven season like yeah. you guys said you've only seen 13 wins well the recruits that they've signed in the last three years it's three straight top 25 classes they've only seen 13 wins too yep. mm-hmm. the thing that i've always said boomer i'm going to start with you on this one the thing that i've always said is well, since i got here I don't see any reason why Nebraska, in this day and age, with the way that this staff recruits all over the country, can't do on recruiting what Oklahoma does in recruiting. And Oklahoma's not in a hotbed. They're not in Texas. They're close to Texas, but they're not in a, in a hotbed. And they're recruiting top five, top ten classes every single year because Lincoln Riley's an offensive genius and because they're winning. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Nebraska can do the same if Nebraska starts winning? We'll just go down the line. Do you think that Nebraska can do the same? Do you think that this staff has the goods to continue going into an Alabama, a Georgia, and a Florida and pulling four-star and five-star kids? I mean, there's a five-star linebacker in Alabama right now that's considering Mm -hmm. Nebraska. Well, absolutely. I mean, winning breeds more winning breeds success. You brought it up with Oklahoma. You bring it up with, you know, Alabama. Why do they keep bringing great recruits? Is it because Saban has a magnetic personality and everybody loves hanging around him? No, they win. Everybody wants to play basketball with Saban. They they won into his basketball league. Exactly. But that's, once you can win, you have just that extra thing to sell. I mean, you can already sell the excitement of the fan base. You have uh, 
money and the program and facilities that we're constantly upgrading, making better and better. So you have that pitch to sell. And once you start winning, that just becomes so much easier. It's You can have that national poll. We have good relationships with uh, Florida coaches staff that Frost had from his time there. We've got draws on the West Coast now. You know, we, we this one's time with Oregon. You've got uh, coaches in Cal we can go after. You've got Turioti for Hawaii. Yeah, Turioti, Hawaii. You've got Dawson There's, for up in the so Northeast So we have corner. those coaches that we brought in for that national kind of footprint. So it, the pieces are there, and once you start winning, and you just get that momentum, and it just can continue to snowball. Mac, are you bothered at all by the number of offers that they send out? Not at all. I, I, I other than when people bring it up, but I, I don't even think about it. I, I, I look at it as a kind of a conversation starter for the program. I mean, we, when you recruit nationally like we do, you're going to have to shotgun them across the country and, and see who's biting. I love how the staff is really gone after the Iowa kids. We're not slow playing Nebraska kids anymore. You know, go to South Dakota to get their best guy. Go to Kansas and get some of their best players. Go to, you know, we, we need to hit Missouri a little bit, get the, get the St. Louis a little bit harder. But, you know, we're good in Florida. You know, Texas is coming along. But it's kind of be that's kind of be the formula is is really holding down the fort here and then going out and recruiting nationally. Kind of the thing that Wisconsin we talk about this all the time, but how Wisconsin doesn't do that, where they don't go out nationally and pick and cherry pick some of the best players in the in the nation. We can do that. We've always been able to do that. We're not developing them. So you, to maintain this momentum, like you said, you know, we Frost has been able to kind of ride the coattails of his UCF success, and and that's probably. This is probably the last year he can really do that. I mean, at this point, you know, you are who you are, and and you've got to you've got to prove it on the field. But that's all he has to do. I mean, and that's that's not winning the conference. That's winning eight, nine games. That's just showing progress. That's developing players. That's getting Lamar Jackson, a four-star guy who had no hopes of going to the league two years ago, who's going to be probably our highest-rated or highest-drafted player this year. That's development. That's the kind of stuff that. As you show recruits that, you know, you get Wandell in here and he makes an immediate impact. Adrian, you know, he struggled last year, but his freshman year was baller. You know, those those are the kind of things you can you can point to to other recruits and say, you can see progress, you can see where we're going, look at our fan base. I mean, yeah. in the Midwest, nobody sells out a stadium like we do. Nobody has the fans like we do. Everybody's got facilities. You know, everybody's got a good, strong Twitter feed, but the fan base here is truly unique. You guys are crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, and, the, and that's what we have. On Come to our spring game. It's nuts, you know. it's That's the truth. You know, when the fans pat themselves on the back and when, when Moose tells us to be patient, that's when it really kind of irks me. I'm like, dude, well, patient. I mean, we're being plenty patient. You know, there's, there's butts in the stands, so let's quiet that talk. But, no. We can we can definitely I don't know top ten seems high to me I, it just depends on how high the five hundred mile radius is ranked but we we, yeah. we could be within striking distance I'm for just, sure I'm just not that overly concerned about what the final ranking is I think we can win titles with the type of class we just brought in whether people want to rank that class tenth or twentieth I mean that changes from year to year as we win games a lot of times. Uh, recruiting rankings end up being reactionary. If you start winning a bunch of games, if Nick Saban goes after a two-star kid, he's four stars tomorrow. So it, part of it is you got to get good too. And when you get good, the kid, the kids you go after, they're going to be ranked. They're going to be ranked pretty high as well. What I'm is, what I'm as happy about right now seeing with Frost is how they have closed down the borders. From Iowa hasn't come in here and taken any more. No offense. There's no Drew Otts leaving here. Uh, you know, we always talk about the five mile radius. I always joke about the five mile radius. We we wouldn't go after Bryson Williams, you know. And now he's playing at Wisconsin, right? Well, we're not giving up those kids anymore. And then we are going into Iowa, and we are bringing in, you know, Blaze Gunnerson and, mm-hmm. and those guys, and, and we're having success going into those neighboring states. There's a value in that, and yet that's not a full story of a, of a recruiting class. You've got to be able to recruit that that local area, and then you've got to be able to go national. That's where Nebraska traditionally has had its success. It's nothing new. It didn't start in the you know ten years ago or fifteen years ago when a lot of these star rankings came out. I mean, we've had to go national for as long as I can remember. You know, Turner Gill wasn't from Nebraska. Mike Rizzer wasn't from Nebraska. All that. So um, it's that combination. You get the you get those local guys that that just bleed Nebraska red, and you, you get some national dudes to come in with it, and the, the combination can be magical when it's done right. And I think Frost is the right coach to to have it be done right. Dave, you got thoughts on recruiting? Yeah, no, I just want to probably emphasize what Honky just said there in the you know the success of the 
the uh, 500 mile radius in combined with the, the national recruiting, it, it's always driven me crazy is a lot of the national media that just doesn't have the history behind Nebraska is that we've always had to recruit nationally a lot of our skill position players. And, um, you know, they talk about, you know, Nebraska and, and how they're never going to return to the top and, and, you know, population issues and everything's moved down south, et cetera. And, and that's just bunk, in my opinion. We've always had to recruit certain players uh, at a national perspective. And so um, that's just, just ridiculous. It, from a, a class recruiting ranking conversation, you know, Boomer and I have run those numbers before. And you look at the teams that make the playoffs – and um, there is a consistency where you're usually a, a top 10 recruiting class year in, year out. There's a couple exceptions to that. Clemson has had a few classes that were lower. Uh, Notre Dame, Oregon is an example. Uh, Oregon's an example of making the playoff and, and making the title game and not having those, those top five or top 10 classes. But um, I do think that if, if we – I mean, right now we're recruiting top 20 and we're 5-7, and seven, for goodness sakes, just win a little bit more or easily in the top 15. And then to, to Honky's point, if, at that point, if we're starting to make New Year's uh, six games and, and threatening the playoffs, and I, I feel like the, the rankings will start to reflect that. And suddenly the three-star guy in Omaha is a four-star guy and our top 15 becomes a top 10 and – Voila, there you go. Yeah, I, I think the playoff stuff gets a, a little over-talked sometimes because no, no one's making the playoffs right now unless you're Clemson, Alabama, you know, uh, uh, Ohio, Ohio State, State Oklahoma, Oklahoma, you know, and then you get the every once in a while the Georgia and LSU. There's a lot of top 10 recruiting teams and top 15 recruiting teams that aren't sniffing the playoffs, Texas and Tennessee and so on. So right now – Whatever the recruiting rankings end up calling us, that's that's great. But there's there needs to be more depth at the high level of college football, period. This is really a point where we've just – there hasn't been a lot of parity beyond about four or five teams. And so, Derek, I know you're from Oklahoma originally, and, the, you know, the Sooners down there, they pretty much if, – if they aren't making the, the, uh, the playoff right now, the Big 12 is not represented. And – uh, you know, if Clemson's not making the playoff, the ACC is not represented. And unfortunately, for the Big Ten right now, the way that Ohio State's been, I mean, other than, uh, I guess, Michigan State a few years back, Ohio State's been the only team at this conference to to really be sniffing it either. And we've had other teams, Michigan and Penn State, they, they recruit top ten classes, but they're not they're not playing at that, that playoff level yet, whatever. And that takes a lot like, to, to get to. Parody in college football, yeah, we could spend another hour talking about parody <laughs> in college football. And I think Nebraska has a role to play in that being down. 100%. Because you look at blue bloods across the country that are yep. down. Nebraska, Florida State, Texas isn't any good. USC isn't any good. Mm-hmm. So if you get those programs that are spread across the country, UCLA maybe if you want to throw them in there, start being competitive and being playoff competitive year in and year out, then I think you start to see the the – Distribution of talent start to spread mm-hmm. out a little bit more. Sure. So we got to do our part. Yeah, I'm willing. Take <laughs> <laughs> one for the team. Yeah. Well, you guys helped this week. I've taken up too much of your time. Not so, at all. It's uh, a blast. Thank you very much for having us. Great. Yeah, thank you for for joining the podcast this week and giving me some time. It was a pleasure to have the three of you here and Dave to have you uh, via the internet. Thanks, Derek. Appreciate it. Thank you, Doctor Petey. Sure. Well, everybody that's listening. Find their podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. I assume you guys are yeah, we're on just about everything. Yep, it's the Go Big Redcast. Find it, subscribe to it, leave them a nice review. Good people. <laughs> Read Hill Varsity while you're at it. We will be back next week with another podcast. Thanks, guys.